Welcome back to Yang Daily. I'll be your host, Alex Cheney, bringing you all the Yang news you need to live your life right. Okay, finally back from vacation. If you didn't see my tweet, I got in last night after driving all day, well, monitoring and correcting my car's driving, actually. We got to test FSD on some really wild mountain roads. The map looked like some kid scribbled all over it in the depths of a sugar-induced manic state. It was crazy. I had my girlfriend post some clips to a thread on the way back, so you can check it out in the links. We did not have internet at the cabin, or even electricity for some of it, which was an unexpected surprise. So I'm still catching up on a lot of news. But there is plenty in this first episode, so settle back for a long one. Quick shout out to our Tier 3 patrons, Shay Meehan and Nathan Stankowski, as well as all our other patrons. You keep us all informed and engaged. If any of you out there want to join these advocates of humanity first and independent journalism, head on over to patreon.com slash yangdaily. It would only take a couple of bucks a month from each listener to keep this podcast and community going and growing into the future. Now on to the news. In tech news, Microsoft and NVIDIA have finished training what they call the Megatron Turing, the new most powerful language model AI, with 530 billion parameters, three times as many as OpenAI's already impressive GPT-3. Not encouraged by the fact that they named it after a megalomaniac supervillain, though it will probably turn out to be appropriate. It reportedly demonstrates unmatched accuracy in a broad set of natural language tasks such as text and media completion, reading comprehension, common sense reasoning, which it can hopefully teach to humans, summation, summarization, dialogue generation, translation, semantic searches, and programming code generation. Basically, it's GPT-3, but better. However, the companies say that improving these models is increasingly difficult for two main reasons. The increasing number of parameters have outstripped the memory of even the largest GPUs, and the processing power required to train them is already taking an extremely long time. Basically, making them smarter faster will require either a different model altogether or will be limited to the advancement of Moore's Law, which is the strangely consistent pace of improvement in computing technology. Another AI breakthrough, on the other hand, was an improvement in efficiency. Caltech researchers developed a new deep learning AI that can solve partial differential equations 1,000 times faster than previous methods and more broadly. These types of equations are difficult to solve, but predict how dynamic systems evolve over time. While it may be far removed from the concerns of the average person, it's very important in science and tech, which we all depend on. One example of a PDE problem would be predicting from a picture how air will flow. So this will accelerate science and tech involving flight, air resistance, airborne transmission of viruses, and so forth. Other examples are understanding and predicting weather, climate change, population dynamics, materials science, seismology, and much more. This will expedite supercomputer usage, making such simulation accessible to more and smaller projects, as well as advancing projects already using it. All of that ultimately means saving and improving lives. The advancement was made by switching from Euclidean to Fourier modeling, essentially looking at waves instead of particles. And while we're in the digital domain, crypto brokerage Coinbase has announced they will now host NFTs in their marketplace. I know there's a lot of crypto fans in the Yang Gang, so congratulations and enjoy.
We've got lots of green energy updates following the UN's Energy Summit. More than 35 countries' governments and private sector companies collectively promised more than $400 billion to expand access to electricity in developing countries and improve energy efficiency. The UN chief outlined a few priorities for a future of sustainable energy. Having the number of people without access to electricity by 2025, with universal access by 2030, rapidly shifting to clean energy, and ensuring the transition does not cut anyone's access to power. Hopefully they mean electricity and not, you know, coddling oil tycoons. The Sri Lankan government announced a climate change plan that includes banning new coal power plants, offering loans for rooftop solar, and doubling renewables' share of electricity by 2030, which would bring it to 70%. Germany committed to a similar increase to its share of renewable energy in total electricity consumption to 65% by 2030. China pledged to end overseas coal financing, which has been a major concern. And the U.S. committed to 80% green energy by 2030, expanding access to 35 million new households and businesses, and doubling climate funding for developing countries. Various investment firms also made commitments. The Ford Foundation, for example, one of the largest private foundations in the U.S., plans to divest millions of dollars from fossil fuel investments following similar decisions from other firms under pressure from climate activists. Of course, given the world is transitioning to renewable energy, any smart investor would be doing the same for entirely selfish reasons. But whether a sign of the times or of successful advocacy, it's good to see. They say they'll be investing that money into green energy businesses instead, which is even better. And finally, this is one of the most important pieces of information I can pass along, so listen up. Some recent historical research has quantified a vitally important phenomenon for us, what it takes to achieve massive political change. A relevant topic to this podcast, if I ever heard one, Erica Chinowith, a political scientist at Harvard, studied data from 323 violent and nonviolent social campaigns over the last century. With the help of others, she extensively reviewed social movements from 1900 to 2006, corroborated by other experts in the field. They primarily studied attempted regime change. A movement was considered a success if it fully achieved its goals, both within a year of its peak engagement and as a direct result of its activities. The first lesson was nonviolent campaigns succeeded 53% of the time, or twice as often as the just 26% for violent campaigns. For various reasons, peaceful campaigns attract about four times as many participants, are more sympathetic, including to law enforcement and the military, and are more effective at causing severe disruption to this functioning of society, which is the pressure that forces change. Second, they found that around 3.5% of the society's population participating actively in protests makes success inevitable. Every campaign that got 3.5% of the population to march or otherwise protest simultaneously achieved their goals. In the U.S., that number would be 11 million people. There are other important factors as well, of course. Unity of message and purpose among demonstrators is very important. Competing factions can doom a movement. But these factors are less well studied. We got to see all this in action recently with the protests over George Floyd's murder. Enough people hit the streets and politicians were forced to pass police reforms. But we also saw how violence in the protests severely undermined the movement, feeding left-versus-right culture war narratives. 
We also saw how fractious messaging undermined it when no clear demands emerged and there was disagreement over abolishing police versus common sense reforms versus diverting funds to other agencies, etc. If we want to build a movement that will force change on democracy reforms, UBI, or anything else, we need to heed these lessons well. It shows the importance of things like the UBI march. We must be inclusive, peaceful, and specific. Protests do not have to be physical. One successful protest in Africa was a boycott, but they do have to be disruptive. As I said a year ago, you have to make life uncomfortable for the people in power if you want them to listen. Three and a half percent is not too much to ask. We can make that happen if we are focused and smart about it. And there are a lot of unhappy people right now, a lot of disruption in the economy. All they need is a focused movement to get behind. And that'll do it for today's Yang Daily. Bookmark and share the GPT-3 successor, the UN Climate Summit resolutions, and the 3.5% rule for protests. Flood Congress with calls, tweets, faxes, and letters using the resist bot or income movement easy contacts below. If you need help, consult Humanity Forward, the Income Movement Aid Database, the Mission Asset Fund, or United Way. And don't forget to Yang Daily.